0: Are we doing Empower Church? Yeah. Can we give Jesus some praise before we grab a seat? Can we do that? We bless your name, Lord. We love you. We honour you in Jesus' name. Why don't you set up a high five with three people around you and grab a seat. It would be wonderful. Thank you to the worship team. You guys are great. Wow. Who's doing well? What a beautiful day on the Sunshine Coast. Are you all feeling good? Man, that weather out there is absolutely outstanding. You live in paradise. This is winter. Did you know that? I think by the time I got here, uh, which was like 10 past 9 this morning, it was already 22 degrees according to my car, and that's winter. We are not struggling for Jesus here, are we? We are are blessed and highly favoured. Pray for those New Zealanders living in such abject coldness while we enjoy the winterless summers of Queensland. What a great honour and a delight it is to be here with you at Empower Church. This is a church that I've heard so much about for so many years uh, and to have the opportunity to now finally be able to share a Sunday with you. The honour of being in your pulpit with Pastor Paul, Pastor Kate Bartolo, who I think are two of the finest people, finest leaders, people that when you meet them, you just think, I've met somebody I was always supposed to know, always supposed to be friends with. This is a man of God right here. Pastor Paul has depth. He has passion. He has genuine faith. He has a spiritual well within him that is not altogether common in the time in which we live. He has, he has a knowledge of the Word. He's a man of prayer. He's a man of faith. And then just to be in this environment, Pastor Kate, to get to meet you, I think, for the first time this morning, forgive me if it's not, um, and to just sense what the Lord is doing in the spirit of this house. What an incredible time of worship we enjoyed. Can we thank the worship team for just a second, by the way? What, What phenomenal praise and worship. I mean, when you arrive here on this property and you've got, you know, the the outdoor plaza area, the cafe, all of the different rooms and facilities, what a beautiful building, what an incredible spirit is in this house. If it is your first Sunday here at Empower, you are at a great church, a healthy church with a phenomenal future. And I just know that uh, Pastor Paul and Kate, they've got such a great vision in their heart. What a wonderful man. What a wonderful woman. And if you're grateful for your pastors, could we take about five seconds and just appreciate this man and this woman. Come on, you can thank God for them. They're worthy. We love you. We celebrate you. We thank God for you. Uh, and thank you for the honor of being with you this morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm married to only one woman, which is good. Um my wife's name is Jillian. We've been married now for 27 years. I know what you're thinking. How, how can you be so young and be married for that long? It's because I married her when she was a child, okay? Uh, you're saying that's wrong? No, it's biblical. The Bible says train a child in the way she should go. And when she's old... That's a bad joke. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. My wife keeps telling me that joke doesn't work. That's the third time I've tried it and it's bombed. It's now on the shelf. Empower Church, you're the last church. It worked 10 years ago, but now everybody's woke. Nobody likes that joke. Um, Yeah, which Jillian and I have been married for 27 years. I call it the voice of chocolate because uh, we've spent... I don't know, an average of maybe 80 nights a year that we've been separate from each other. But when I get on the phone to her and her, she just says, hello, that word, she had me at hello. You know that movie? She had me at hello. And her voice just melts my heart. I love her so much. I have two children. My daughter, Lara, is 19 years old. Uh, I call her Princess Bell Pixie. I don't know why these things just happen. Um, my son Will is 16 years old, and uh, he, he's six foot two. Believe it or not, when I give him a hug good night, my cheek goes against his chest bone. It feels like it should be the reverse. And then he says, with my voice coming back at me, "Good night, Dad." And it, it's like, who is the father and who is the son here? And today he is in a, a chess competition, which is why my wife is not here. They'll go to church tonight on the Gold Coast. But he is competing in a, a chess competition to get an Australian chess rating, which he needs so he can go to state and then nationals, because he is committed to being Australia and then the world's number one chess player. All right, if you have a Bible today, we're going to go to the book of Genesis, chapter 18. The book of Genesis, chapter 18 I actually came to church this morning planning to share a different message, but I had a fantastic, beautiful drive uh, from the Gold Coast to the Sunshine Coast this morning. And uh, while I was praying, I felt like the Lord just literally said to me, I want you to go a different way. So the message that I'm giving you today, I believe, is something that God has laid on my heart to share with you today. And I believe it's going to help somebody in this room in the season that you're in. So get your expectation high. Get your cell phone, turn it to flight mode. Come on. We all know a distracted mind will not receive the divine. No, we don't know that? Oh, okay. We need to teach that maybe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A double-minded man should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. That works for women too. It's generic. If you're woke, a double-minded woman should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Because we are double-minded, we diminish the power of the divine. So if you want to get something great out of, this cell, out of this message, out of any message, flick your phone to flight mode. I promise you, nobody will die. Your house won't burn down if for 30 minutes a week you turn your phone to flight mode. With that in mind, let's dive in. Genesis chapter 18, and we're going to start reading in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, turn to a nearby Christian. Um, or the screen behind me will work as well. Genesis chapter 18 and verse 1. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and he saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and he bowed low to the ground. He said, If I have found favour in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Then let me get you something to eat so that you can be refreshed and go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried, hurried into the tent to Sarah, quick, quick. He said, get three sears of fine flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran, ran to the herd and he selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried, hurried to prepare it. Then he bought some curds of milk and the calf that had been prepared and he set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife, Sarah. They asked him, there in the tent, in the tent, he said. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you at this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, I love this, Why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? And here's our key text for today. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. This is a cool verse here. I love this. This is like a little, a little you know, extra, a garnish on our reading. Sarah was afraid, so she lied to God and said, I did not laugh. But he said, oh, yes, you did laugh. Verse 14, just one more time. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Close your eyes this morning, please, church, just for one second. Hear it, hear it, let me read it. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Lord, I pray, open our hearts, open our minds, speak in these next few minutes. Arrest me, Lord, use me. I pray that your people would be encouraged today. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen. 25 years approximately before this passage of Scripture is recorded, Abraham and Sarah were living together in a place known as Haran. I always like to imagine that one day, Sarah was having high tea with her girlfriends, sitting down, they got little biscuits, you know, they got, they got the sandwiches cut with, the, with no crusts on them. You know, they got their little cupcakes, they got the teas and the ornate floral things and it's all beautiful and everybody's having just a wonderful time. They got the little finger out, even, nice and dainty. They're having their high tea together and I always like to imagine that Abraham came rushing into the cafe where they were enjoying this moment comes running up to his wife, Sarah, and he says to her, Darling, I need you to come home. We've got to pack up. We're leaving Haran. We've got to go. In fact, we've got to go today. She stands up from the table and looks at her husband and says, darling, what do you mean we've got to go? We've got to go. I've met with God. God has spoken to me. He's gonna give us descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Baby, He's gonna use us to change the world. But we've got to go today. Okay, okay, okay. All right, all right. Sarah asks her husband, so if we've got to go today, Abraham, where are we going? I don't know. But we've got to leave and God's going to tell us where we're going to go. What an amazing wife. Rather than filing for divorce, Sarah goes home, packs up everything that she has and sets out with her bug-eyed husband on a journey of faith towards a place that they don't even know where it is. Eventually, one day, Abraham and Sarah find themselves in a place where I always imagine it like this, where, where Abraham one day just goes, Sarah, darling, this is it. This is it. This is what? This is the place. What place? This is the place that God is going to give to us. Sweetheart, if you open your eyes and you look as far as you can see, to the east, to the west, to the north, to the south, as far as you can see, God is going to give all of this land to us. Oh, wow, Abraham, that's absolutely amazing. For the next 25 years, Abraham and Sarah dwell in the land which they had arrived in, the land of Canaan, later named the nation of Israel. And there they dwelt in tents amongst people whose languages they did not know because of a promise that God had given to Abraham. Now remember, when they left Haran 25 years prior to this passage of Scripture being written, that was for Sarah the second time that she'd left home. The first home, the place where Sarah was born, is a place known as Ur of the Chaldeans in Scripture, later known Babylon in modern times, Iraq. That was where she was born and then moved to Haran and now in the land of Israel. She's left home twice for this man. For 25 years, they've been living in this promised land because of a promise from God that they would have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And based on that promise, Abraham and Sarah are doing what a married couple must do in order for a child to be born. And I'm sure the first month of trying, it was exciting. It's more fun for the husband. But anyway, they went about the process and then no child. The next month, no child. The next month no child, one year, no child, two years, no child, three years, five, ten, a decade of trying and believing for a child to be born, no child, 15 years, 17 years, 20 years, Somewhere along the journey, Sarah can begin to feel changes in her body. She knows that the age of bearing children is coming to an end for her. And as, those, as that day approaches, Sarah, I'm sure, has two emotions. I'm sure on the one hand, she's thinking to herself, you know what, God has spoken to my husband. He has a word from God. And so any day now, I'm going to feel little flutters, like little bubbles in my tummy. And I'm going to know that that child is beginning to grow. It's going to be any day now. And I'm sure that on the opposite side, Sarah is also thinking to herself, what if my husband missed it? There's got to be some little thing within her because God has spoken to her husband. So she's got to be thinking to herself, what if Abraham had a cheesy pizza-inspired dream in the middle of the night and said, God spoke to me, but it wasn't God at all. What if I've been on this journey all these years because my husband thought he had a word from God? And then eventually the day comes where Sarah goes through menopause. She can no longer naturally conceive a child The dream is over, the day has come to an end. At that moment, something broke in Sarah's fragile heart. The dream died, the promise died, an emptiness came, a sorrow, a pain, The Bible tells us that when Sarah is in her 90s, okay, in her 90s, that along come three men. One day that is hanging out and three men arrive. And when we dive into it in our passage this morning, we discover about Abraham that even though he is in his late 90s, that in Abraham there is an eagerness. Notice it keeps saying in this passage that he hurried, that he ran, that he saw them, that he was looking towards the horizon. Within Abraham, whenever he's mentioned in the Scripture, he is a man of action and expectation. There is within Abraham a bigness on the inside of him. Oh, he might be old in years, but he is not diminished in outlook. He is a man alive. Are there any people in this room today who are saying, I might be passing in years, but I've still got some vision, still got some faith, still got some belief in the bigness of our God. That's Abraham, I love him. But the Bible tells us that when the meal is prepared and the three men sit, and we discover about these three men that one of them is Jesus Himself. That as they sit there eating this meal, that the Bible says, the Lord asked Abraham, where. Is your wife. And he said, She is in the tent. She is in the tent. That when this passage of scripture is written, we've got Abraham with an eagerness, a life, an energy, an expectation. But in stark contrast, we've got Sarah. And Sarah. It's just hanging out in the tent. I reckon Sarah was sitting in the tent thinking to herself, you know what? I've been following this old coot for so many years now. It's got me nothing but a life of moving from place to place. And yeah, we got some money, but we have no family. It's just him and me. And we're out here doing this all alone. But you know what? no matter where this crazy dreamer drags me, I'll always have this tent. I'll always have it. Wherever he takes me, this is my carpet. This is my LED TV. This is my microwave. Wherever he takes me, wherever he drags me, no matter what language they speak, no matter what's going on out there, I will always have my tent. I'll have, I'll have the constancy of it, the familiarity of it, the security of it, the limitation of it, the smallness of it, the futility of it, but I'll always have my tent. When we think about tents in the scripture, it's important that we realize about tents that fears run rampant in tents. In Genesis 15, actually, we find Abraham. And in the dead of night, the Bible says that he is in his tent and the Lord comes to him. And the first thing God says to Abraham in the dead of this night, he said, do not be afraid. And we find the reason for God's chastisement when Abraham opens his mouth because Abraham says, well, why should I not be afraid and why are you my reward when Eliezer of Damascus is gonna get everything that I own because I have no child. Because what happens when you're in the tent is your fears begin to shout at you in the tent. Nightmares happen in the tent. Futility is found in the tent. Emptiness is found in the tent. It's been my experience about life that most people start their lives like Abraham. They start with wild dreams. Talk to a child, walk out. Don't walk out there because you're not parentally signed off but if you were to be in the children's section at the end of the service if you walk up to a child and you say what do you want to be when you grow up no one's going to say I'd like an LED TV and just be able to chill out and just enjoy my life no if you walk up to those children they're going to tell you I want to be a fireman an astronaut I want to be a YouTuber this crazy stuff people want to be now but it's always an outrageous outlandish dream is this not true But life happens to us, doesn't it? Failure and delay and setback. We become educated. And as we go through the storms and the events of our lives, the natural drift is for us to graduate from crazy dreamers to citizens of the tent, to people who have accepted... A life of supposed security, of familiarity, and of constancy for the risk and potential failure of living for our dreams. And friend, I don't believe for a second that it is God's desire for every, any one of us in this auditorium to ever let go of our dreams to ever surrender the promise from God that lives on the inside of you. Can I get a little amen today? I believe the desire of heaven is for you and I to live lives that are echoing the spirit we see in Abraham filled with belief that God could do anything in our lives and any time that He chooses to do it. Where is your wife? Where is your wife? Where are you? Locate yourself. Locate yourself. Where is your wife? She is in the tent. She's in the tent. Well, says Jesus, I will return to you at this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Is there anybody in Empower Church today who still believes that in one calendar year, God can turn any situation around? That God has the power to literally bring you out of some kind of desperate situation into a new situation? Anybody still believe that God can heal a sickness, turn around a circumstance, provide supernaturally, open up a door, bless the business, bring healing to the marriage, provide the home that you need, give you the exam results that you desire? Does anybody believe that in one calendar year, heck, in one month, in one week, in one day, in one second, that our God has the power to work a miracle? If you believe in the power of God to work a miracle, why don't you all put your hands to together and let's give that God some praise in this place. I will return to you. That's a word for somebody here. I will return to you at this time next year. I'm telling you, your life can be different. Your life will be different. God hasn't finished yet. If you believe that, give me an amen out there. He's got a greater plan. He's still able. God does wonders. I will return to you at this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And the Bible tells us that Sarah, in the solitude, in the secrecy, the privacy of her tent, that Sarah laughed She laughed. (laughs) Oh, come on. (laughs) Here we go again. (laughs) She laughed. God gives her a promise. And she laughs. She laughs. It's a laughter born of her delay, of her pain. It's a laugh that came from her, from her cynicism, from her skepticism, from the fatality through which she views life, she laughed. It's easy for us, I think, to mock Sarah for her laugh, to say, how could she be so doubting, so cynical? When the promise of God is being given to her, this this incredible woman who gives birth to Isaac, the the one child of true promise in Scripture, How, how can it be that Sarah, the mother of Isaac, the bride of Abraham, could be found in Scripture to laugh? But the truth is, my friends, if I push you hard enough, I could find your laugh. If I went through every promise from God in the Scripture, I reckon at one promise, eventually we'd find the place where you'd laugh too. Maybe we shouldn't hate on Sarah. Maybe we should identify with some aspects of Sarah. If I went through the Word of God and I was to declare over your life that God could heal any sickness in your body, that every lost family member of yours could come back to Christ, that God could heal a marriage, God could take a dead person and raise them to life. Heck, a church called Empower in Caloundra on the Sunshine Coast could be so blessed by heaven, experience such a wave of revival that not just the Sunshine Coast but Queensland and Australia could be transformed by a group of people blessed by God that God could favour your business that God could heal your marriage that God could could prosper you and move you forward in His plan and His purpose I reckon in every one of us there is that laugh at some point there is that laugh it is that laugh though it's the presence of that laugh that sentences us to the ordinary, that robs the power of the miraculous. It is the laugh in us that holds back the power of the promise of God. It is the laugh that keeps our dreams on the horizon. It's the laugh that gives plausibleness to our fatalism and futility. And it is for that laugh that the angel came. It is for that laugh that Jesus appears. And so we find the question comes, is anything too hard for the Lord? The question is asked of Sarah, can God still move? You might be through menopause and out the other side. You're in your twilight years and self-described yourself as worn out and with an old master. But in this season of your life, is God still able? Can God still work a miracle? Is His hand able to intervene in your situation? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Empower Church, ask yourself this question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Can a woman past menopause give birth to a child? Is that too hard for the Lord? Could a business that's on its last legs be overflowing with finances in one year? Is that too hard for the Lord? Could a marriage that's full of animosity and bitterness once again become a place of joy and celebration? Is that too hard for the Lord? Could a delayed child be born to a couple who've been trying for years? Is that too hard for the Lord? Could your family be saved? Could calendar experience could empower church, raise a new generation of leaders for the Church of Australia? Could we see a revival birth from this building that transforms the Sunshine Coast? Is anything too hard for the Lord? The only way that we can ensure that our lives are conduits for the miraculous is to resolve this issue. Nothing, nothing is too hard for the lord. Sarah is in a place where she is struggling with this. And so God brings her back. Jesus, Jesus. I just pray that you would open hearts and lives in this moment. He brings us back, he brings her back to this simple challenge. Can I do it, Sarah? Can I Will you trust me? Can you imagine what it must have been like for Adam and Eve to be created by God and to live in that garden? I mean, to live in this place where literally there is no sin, no death, no famine, no no blight to to destroy your crops, nothing that prevents everything that you've ever dreamed of from ever coming to a tragic end. Imagine living in an environment that is completely supportive of every action that you take, a world that is not fallen. Where if you wanted to have a crop of watermelon, you could throw some seeds in the ground and the ideal environment is present in the oasis of that garden that the seeds would just germinate And up out of the crown would come juicy watermelons. Can you imagine it saying, baby, I think we should have some courgettes. I think you call them in Australia zucchini. We'd like to have some zucchini. So you plant the zucchini, up comes the zucchini plants. We'd like to have potatoes, this, bananas, that. Whatever it is you feel like, whatever you attempted to do, the ground was supportive. There was nothing to diminish it. Nothing would ever destroy it. Imagine living a world... Where everything you did was successful. Do you think you'd dream small? Do you think you'd dream limited? Do you think you'd be full of doubt and insecurity? Or do you think you would be standing with shoulders back, head held high, great expectations, great outlook, almost... We could say almost childlike grandeur to the dreams that you have for the future. Adam and Eve in the garden would not have been small in their outlook, they would have been big. Yet we understand that the serpent, the devil, deceived Eve and because of the passivity of Adam, sin entered into our world. And now we live in a fallen world where death, taxes, pimples, Neighbours are all realities. I'm talking about the TV show. Are all present realities in the world in which we live. We live in a world that is beneath its its creator's intentional desire for it. And now because we live in a fallen world, we don't think big anymore. We plan for failure. We mitigate risk. We make sure everything is safe. The first impact of sin coming into the world is that Adam and Eve traded big for small. And our struggle has been against small ever since. That doubt, that cynicism, that fear, the self criticism, the insecurity the unwillingness to trust. These are all our reactions, the manifestations of small. And if we read the scripture and you read what Jesus actually said in the three years he was active in preaching, one of the things we feel, we discover, and we experience as we read what Jesus himself said is that he came I'm positive with many mandates. One of them though was definitely to liberate us from the futility of small and to bring back our expectation and the bigness of what our God can do. I mean, when you read the Scriptures, Jesus literally just said it over and over and over again. One time we've got Jesus with a father and the father is on his knees and a crowd is approaching and the father has a son that is in the grip of a seizure on the ground next to him and the seizures have already thrown him into water and he nearly drowned, thrown him into a fire and he now carries burns. And the father says to Jesus, if you can do anything, Would you take pity on us and help us? And Jesus replays the Father's words back to him. In a moment when actually it was against Jesus's agenda to heal this man in a public setting. He actually wanted to heal the, fo- the boy in privacy because the popularity he gained by healing him didn't help him, it worked against him. But he still, it's like he, he can't move on. He can't, he can't heal the boy without first confronting the deception in the father. So he plays the man's words back to him. He says, if you can, question mark, If you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus is like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. If you can. And then Jesus says, anything is possible for him who believes. Over and over again in the Scripture, Jesus is saying, He said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be cast into the sea. And it will be. The mustard seed being a tiny seed. He's saying faith can move mountains. There is no smallness to be found in my followers. I want you to think, dream and expect big. I'm excited about it. One time a, a blind man is brought to Jesus. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And the man said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And then Jesus said to him, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Do you believe that I'm able to do this? And the man said, yes. Hear the words of Jesus. Then become what you believe. Then become what you believe, friends, in this moment, in this time, ask yourself, do you believe that God is able to do this? Heck, you can be Martha and say yes to that with your head while you still have doubt in your heart. God only needs a flicker of a belief She said, Lord, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. That's an acceptable answer to that question. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I've got it in my head. Help me to connect it with my heart. But I'm not going to live out of this doubt. I'm going to live out of this belief. I believe God is looking for a generation of believers that are gonna cling to the limitless possibilities of God, who are gonna defy every obstacle, who are gonna stare down the face of limitations. I'm going to preach it till I die that God is going to move in greater power in this century than we've ever seen a move in any generation in the history of the world. We haven't seen Australia's largest church yet. Haven't witnessed Australia's greatest revival yet. This church hasn't had its best day yet. You haven't lived your greatest moment yet. That if there's breath in your body, God still has a plan for you. And if you believe it, put your hands together and give your God's some praise in this room right now nothing is too hard for the Lord if you believe it help me say it nothing is too hard for the Lord if you're catching it just join in nothing is too hard for the Lord if you believe that shout amen in this room God can do it God is able He can heal your sickness, change your finances, bless your body, restore your soul. Our God is able. Amen. And if God is able, where is your wife? Here's the thing to remember. Here's the thing to remember. It takes two people to make a baby. Jesus said, if two or three of you agree concerning anything, it shall be done for you. Sometimes, sometimes, a person around us has the faith, but the faith has to come to us. In Genesis 15, God turns up For Abraham, Genesis 15, 6 is probably the most important verse in all of the Old Testament. Written in an environment that begins with a man full of fear, finishes with, Abraham believed God and God credited it to him as righteousness. And our New Testament righteousness is founded in that one scripture that came from the darkest night of Abraham's soul. God will do more in your darkest moments than he will do in a thousand of your best days. This one though is for Sarah. Why do you laugh? Why? Does your cynicism have any foundation? Does your questioning of my ability have any validity? Past menopause past menopause, no longer able to be naturally able to conceive a child. So Isaac, then, is the child born of a supernatural miracle. We agree? Isaac was laid on an altar and about to die at the hand of his own father. And then God spared the child and provided A ram in a thicket that was offered instead of Abraham, sorry, instead of Isaac upon the altar that day. A child born of a supernatural miracle, a child who died a tragic death, a child who was raised from death to life. Born of a supernatural miracle, died a tragic death, raised from death to life. Remind you of anybody? Jesus was born of a supernatural miracle. Died a tragic death upon a cross for our sin and was raised from death to life. As Jesus is in the New Testament, Isaac becomes the seed. Everything Sarah went through was for a reason. Your delay may be part of your destiny. The tragedy that makes you so cynical today might be the foundation of God's great intervention that shows the, man, I feel the Holy Spirit, that shows the world what He really has in store when He finally shows off through you. I'm telling you, your test will become your testimony. I'm telling you, God can take whatever is broken in your life and make it a trophy of His grace. God is able to do it. If you believe that God could take whatever has filled you with pain and cause you to experience His joy, then put your hands together and give your God some praise in this room right now. God can do it. God can do it. God hasn't finished yet. God's still able. God's moving in power. I want you to clap your hands for whatever's broken, whatever you're fearful about. Clap your hands like you believe it's already happened for you. God's going to make a way. If you believe He's going to make a way, take three more seconds and keep praising Him. He can do it. He can do it. He can do it. He can do it. In Jesus' mighty name, Amen. As the band come and join me, everybody stand to your feet right now all over this auditorium. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. Nothing is too hard for the Lord nothing is too hard for the Lord. Wherever you are in this auditorium, please just close your eyes right now in a holy moment between people and God. There are people all over the service right now who are saying, John, I feel like that message was for me. God wants to bring me back to the point of faith again. Man, I feel like God is just saying, I'm going to do it. 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 Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Don't give up on your dreams. Don't, don't, don't settle for the ordinary. Don't, Don't surrender your promise. Don't don't live with the limitations. Don't surrender to your fears. Be bold in your belief. Be outlandish in your confidence in God. Keep trusting. Keep believing. Man, God is wanting to revive some promises, revive some dreams in this auditorium today. If that's you and you're in this auditorium and in any way this message is touching you today to say, I wanna believe in the bigness and the limitless potential of my God wherever you are I want you to take one hand or two hands and just as an act of like acknowledgement to God lift your hands high in the air right now just lift them up 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 all over the room all over the room if you're not physically capable hold your hands out in front of you Father right now right now right now I speak to the battle weary I speak to the broken I speak to the despondent And I call out your promise. I speak to those of non-pain. And I declare that they will move from pain to joy. The word Isaac literally means laughter. It means laughter. But not laughter from cynicism. Laughter from wonder. Wonder at the goodness of God. I'm telling you. You're going to know the goodness of God. You're going to laugh, laugh with joy and wonder and celebration and acknowledgement at the goodness of God as He moves on your behalf. He's never stopped loving you. He's never stopped loving you. He makes all things work together for good. For everyone who loves Him and is called according to His good purpose. If you love Jesus, I want you to just do something for me while while your eyes are closed, while your hands are raised. I just want you to, if, if you do love Jesus, I just want you to say three words. I love Jesus. Just say it to yourself right now. Say, I love Jesus. If you love Jesus, I'm telling you, every person is called. So here's Scripture's promise over you. I'm gonna make everything work together for your good. So we take You at Your Word. We sang it this morning. We take You at Your Word. If You said it, I'll believe it in Jesus' mighty name. I declare healings to bodies. I declare healings to bodies. Transformation of circumstances. Man, I sense two things specifically. I'm gonna speak them out. Firstly, several afflicted businesses. God says, I'm gonna pour out my favour upon you. I'm gonna pour out my favor upon you. I declare that in Jesus' name. And the second thing over this church, God is saying, I've got a whole new day for you in power. I'm gonna open up the windows of heaven. I walked into this auditorium this morning, and as I entered the car park, it was like I stepped into an environment of the Holy Spirit. I felt like there was something in my heart where it was just like, this will be a home for the multitudes. This will be a home for the multitudes. Make this valley full of ditches. This will be a home for the multitudes. Get ready, I'm bringing them. I am, God is bringing them. Wow, God is bringing them. This is what He says, I am bringing. I'm bringing people from the north, from the south, from the east, from the west. I'm bringing them, I'm bringing them. I'm bringing them from as far away as Noosa. I'm bringing them from North Brisbane. I'm bringing them, I'm bringing them. God's bringing people here. And from this house, you will raise many leaders, many leaders. Pastor Paul, Pastor Kate, this is a sending church. There's always a special blessing from heaven on sending churches. Many churches are receiving churches. Few churches are sending churches. And God wants you to know this is a sending church. As you have sent and you will send, you're sending flames, arrows of revival that are going out across Australia and the world. So keep training and keep raising and keep sending because your impact won't even be fully seen until you step into eternity. I declare that over you in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. We receive your promise. We receive your promise. While every, every head is bowed, while every eye is closed, all over this auditorium, please. This is a holy moment between people and God. Many people have come to the service today and right now, you're not in right relationship with Jesus. You're not walking with God. You're not a Christian. Maybe you've been a church person, but Jesus is not at the center of your life right now. Or perhaps you've got no idea whether you're a Christian or not. If that's you, my friend, then it will be my greatest honor before I hand back to Pastor Paul to pray a prayer with you. And if you'd pray this prayer with me, today could be the day where you discover what it is To know Jesus personally. God loves you. He has a plan for your life. He made you. He wants to walk with you through whatever you're facing in your life. Not just now, but for the rest of your life. And if you're here in this room and you're saying, John, that's me. I've come to church today, but I don't know Jesus. I'm not right with God. I'm not a Christian. I've been a church person, but Jesus is not at the center of my life right now. Or perhaps you've got no idea whether you're a Christian or not. Then I would love for you to be included in the simple prayer that we're about to pray. You can say the words after me, and today could be the day where you start your own journey of relationship with God. But all over this room, many people are saying, John, that's me. I've come to church today and I need Jesus. Well, I want you to do something for me I'm going to ask you to take one hand and lift it high in the air so I can see it then you can put your hand back down but all over the room many people are saying John I've come to church today but I'm not right with Jesus I want you to lift a hand I'm not walking with God today John I want you to lift a hand I'm not a Christian you lift a hand I've been a church person Jesus is not at the center of my life I want you to lift a hand got no idea whether I'm a Christian or not You lift a hand. Once every hand is raised, we're going to pray this prayer together. But all over the room, many people are saying, John, that's me. If you're in any of the categories I just mentioned, take one hand and lift it high in the air right now. Lift it all the way up. Lift it all the way up. Say, that's me. God bless you. Others, lift it up now. God bless you. Somebody else, I need Jesus in my life. Quickly, lift that hand high to heaven. I need Jesus in my life. you got one more second. Then we're going to pray this prayer. Thank you, Jesus. Everybody pray this prayer out loud with me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus. Jesus. Say it like you mean it. Dear Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you today. I need you in my life. I'm lost without you. I ask you, Jesus, come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sin. I thank you, Jesus. You died on the cross for me. You love me, you accept me, and you forgive me. Amen and amen. 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 Can we have a big clap right now for everybody? Let's welcome Pastor Paul.